The scripture for this morning comes from Psalm chapter 23. You can follow along in your Bibles or your worship guide. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Since we're over half the halfway mark in our series looking at different dimensions of God, I want to take a moment for those who might be visiting for the first time this morning and for those that I might have missed several weeks just to review where we've been so far. The first week we looked at God as our Father as we looked at Luke 15. And we saw that our Heavenly Father is a Father who, pers- who pursues after us who forgives us, and who delights in his beloved children. The second week, we looked at the story of Zacchaeus, and we saw God as a host. Although Christ never owned a home, wherever he stayed, he was the host who gathered people to himself. His presence fills up every room that he goes into. And makes a lasting impact on all who feast with him. The third week, John Freeman looked at God as the vine dresser. God patiently and deliberately tends to those who follow him. He gently prunes us so that we might be more like him. And he always waters us so that we might grow and glorify him. And then last week, Michael helped us to see that God is the great artist. He is the potter and we are the clay. He is lovingly placing his hands around us, molding us into something that is not just useful, but that is beautiful. And this morning, we're going to look at God as the shepherd. And to help us do this, we're going to look at one of my favorite psalms. And certainly one of the most quoted psalms, that is Psalm 23. And in this psalm, we see three things about God as shepherd. First, God the shepherd provides for his flock. Secondly, God the shepherd retrieves his flock. And then thirdly, God the shepherd protects his flock. Pray with me. Father, we're grateful this morning for the opportunity to gather together. We are your sheep. And you, the great shepherd, have brought us to this place this morning to feast on your word. Lord, I know that there are people here that are hurting deeply this morning. And I pray for your comfort and your peace to pour over them. 
I know there's some here this morning who are distant from you. I pray that your grace would draw them back to you. I know that there's some this morning and they're excited and thrilled to be here and full of joy. May their joy overflow in such a way to bring comfort to those that are hurting. And Lord, I pray even for myself this morning as I'm fighting this 10-day cold and cough that you would give my vocal cords the strength to preach from your word. So Holy Spirit, I need you and we need you. So come in your name. Amen. So if you have your bulletins, you can pull those out and you can look or you can look in your Bible at Psalm 23. And the first thing that we see is that God, the shepherd, provides for his flock. Now, I'm familiar with shepherds and sheep. But this week I was sitting in my office and I thought, you know, I'm going to just Google ancient Near Eastern shepherds and find out kind of what information that that's out there. And much to my surprise, if you Google ancient Near Eastern shepherds, tons of stuff come up. And one thing that I really never knew was that originally farmers were the ones who tended sheep. But sheep are animals that graze, and they graze a lot. And so what would happen would be the sheep would eat all the grass. And so they would need to move to another field, but a farmer only owns a certain amount of property. And so the occupation of shepherding arose out of that need. And the shepherds, unlike the farmers, would take the sheep from field to field to field. The shepherds, unlike the farmer who would go home at night to his comfy house, was always with his sheep. There was a deep personal intimacy between the shepherd and the sheep. And the shepherd always provided for every need that his sheep had. And this is exactly what David declares as he begins his psalm. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. David begins by highlighting the very intimate and personal relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. As he refers to God, not as the shepherd, but if you notice, he refers to God As my shepherd. The shepherd knows us. He knows every thought that you're having in this moment. He loves us. He is with us and he provides us. Chris Tomlin sings a song. It says, whom shall I fear? And the chorus says this. I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind me. The God of angels' armies is always by my side. The Lord is our shepherd. He is intimately involved in your life and in my life and in all the lives of those who profess faith in him. And because he's so intimately involved with our lives, he knows 
our every need. And David writes in verse 1, He will provide. I shall not want. David here is saying, God our shepherd promises to provide for us. Similar to Deuteronomy 2.7, you have not lacked a thing. David here is literally saying, I shall not lack a thing. Peter in 2 Peter 1.3 writes, God's power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowing the one who called us to his own glory. David here is telling us that just as the shepherds in the ancient Near East provided for all the needs of their flocks under their watchful care, God is going to provide for the needs of his children. But let me be clear here. He is not saying that he will provide for everything that you and I want. Because if that was the case, then I would be preaching to you from the beaches of Hawaii and all of you would be sitting on the beach worshiping together because that is where I would like to be this morning. No, God doesn't give us everything we want, but he promises to give us everything we need. And for some of us, it's a struggle to believe that he would meet our every need. I know it's a struggle for me to believe that the shepherd is good and kind and that he's attentive to my needs. And the beautiful thing about this psalm is that David knew that some of us would struggle with believing in God's goodness to us. And so in verse 2, you'll notice that David writes, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now we read that and think, oh, that sounds very pleasant and wonderful. But to the Israelite ear, they would have understood exactly what David was referencing here. You see, David here is remembering God's faithfulness to Israel as he delivered them out of Egypt and into the desert. God could have left them in Egypt to die. He could have left them in the desert to die. But what does he do? God provided manna for them in the desert. God provided water for them in the desert. And most importantly, God provided his presence for them in the desert. Moses writes in Exodus 15, God led the Israelites to holy pastures. The word in Hebrew for holy pastures is the same Hebrew word that David uses for green pastures in Psalm 23. David is reminding them, just as he is reminding us, that God provides for them and for us, no matter where we are in our faith journey. And as we live in the wilderness of our world today, he promises to make us lie down in green pastures and leads us beside still waters. He says in verse 6, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The Lord is our shepherd, and we shall not be in want. And that's not just physical needs that God promises. It's also emotional needs that we all in this room have. Throughout this past, I guess probably since August, as we've kind of taken this journey uh, about exploring the possibility of a new building, I, for the most part, have been very upbeat, very encouraged and excited. But over the past four days, I feel like Satan has just bombarded me in a way that I actually texted Scott North on Friday night and said, darkness is just all around me. And I was so filled with discouragement. And it had nothing to do with the money. We've raised already from 10 people, we've raised already a half a million dollars. It had nothing to do with money. It had more to do with what God was exposing and what I was seeing about my own heart and what I was seeing and hearing about the church. And so in the midst of that discouragement... I called a friend, we set up a lunch on Saturday, and I went, and we talked about other things going on in the week, and she was very gracious, and I began to share with her my discouragement and some things that had happened over the last four days. God provides for our needs, because as she sat and listened to me, she reminded me of two things. That I needed to hear. And one of them is that this facility, we've already outgrown it. Our offices are in another place. It's already difficult for us. If you come here on Wednesday nights, the parking lots are full. Thursday for Resonate, the parking lots were full. Not from our people, but from other people. It's time. This, this building has been wonderful, but it's met its need. And we've outgrown it. But secondly, she reminded me of Jeremiah. She said, Todd, sometimes the people of God have to take a step, even when their hearts aren't there. And then as they take a step, then God will allow their hearts to catch up with them. Those words and her presence was my shepherd providing for me and lifting that cloud of darkness that was over me, that discouragement that set in and enabled me then throughout the rest of that day. And and as I'm entering today to come with hope that, yes, it might fall through, but with the hope and the belief that God is calling Hope Chapel To take this step of faith so that we might cause the flourishing of the city. So that we might have a school again like we once did with Lindley Elementary. Now it's going to be Grimsley. that's directly out of our neighborhoods that we can make a deep and lasting impression on the kids that go there and the families and the faculty. That's what gets me excited. I could care less about a building. 
I care more about where that building is located and the possibilities that that building provides us to make a difference. One of the key things when we planted Hope Chapel, I always said, we're a success if we cease to exist and the city of Greensboro misses us. I dare say that over the last year, there might be some that would miss us, but not the whole city like in our early beginnings. And I believe with all my heart that God is calling us to this facility so that we can engage Grimsley. Because I tell you, if we go to that facility and we engage Grimsley, we will make a difference in the lives of those kids and those students. And if God took us home, I believe Grimsley and the city of Greensboro would miss us. I want us to get back to our roots. And again, it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't care about the building per se. I care about our vision. And it took that launch and God is the shepherd to lift that dark cloud. To open my eyes and to say, as Jeremiah calls us to say, Todd, take that step of faith. I can't make you guys take that step of faith with me. If I could, I would. But I'm out there. I told my friend, I feel like I'm out, way out. And you guys are way behind. And I want you to come. And that's some of the loneliness that I think I felt over the last four days. But I beg you and plead with you to pray about whether you want to come or not. Because I'm going. One way or another. Even if it's not that building we're going to shift a little bit here at Hope Chapel because we need to regain our focus on loving this city and having a wider footprint than what we have presently. So the Good Shepherd provides for our needs emotionally and physically. And so I wonder this morning, what do you need from the shepherd? What are you hungry and thirsty for this morning? Do you need food? Do you need shelter? Do you need a job? Or maybe it's not a material thing. Maybe you need comfort this morning. Maybe you need love. Maybe, like me, you need reassurance that what God is calling us to he indeed is calling us to. Whatever it is, David here in this passage is saying, the Lord is our shepherd. He promises to provide for us. You and I shall not want. And the second thing we see in this passage is that God is the shepherd who retrieves his flock. Going back to my Google search, another thing that I learned is that at times sheep can get so engrossed in their food and their eating that they kind of wander away from the field and go to other fields because they're just grazing constantly. And they find themselves not only separated from the shepherd, but also separated from the flock. 
But the beautiful thing that David says in verse 3 is that he, the shepherd, restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now, this word restore is a little deceiving because the literal translation in, in the Hebrew is retrieve. The shepherd retrieves my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. You see, David was familiar with wandering. He wandered up onto a roof when his men were out in the fields. And then he looked down on Bathsheba, who was doing what any woman would do at that time of evening, which was to shower. And then he wandered even further, both from the flock and from the father. And he had an affair with Bathsheba. And then he wandered even further as he had Bathsheba's husband murdered. And then he wandered for a whole year in depression as he refused to confess his sin before God and to repent. But God, the shepherd, did not give up on David. He sent Nathan to confront him and to call him to repentance, not so he could punish him, but so that he might retrieve David and restore him in the paths of righteousness a right relationship with God so that he might be glorified. So David here, the king of wandering, is saying to us, when we wander away from either the flock or from the shepherd, he will spare no expense to retrieve us, to restore us. And let me say to those who might feel lost this morning, distant from God and distant from the body of Christ, please don't give up. God, your shepherd, sees you. And he promises that he will never, ever, ever give up on you. Jesus says the shepherd will leave the 99 to go after the one. David says God will retrieve all his children who have lost their way. He is coming for you and he will restore you. But also know this, that part of the restoration process is that when he does come for us, that we have the humility to confess our sins and to repent like David did when Nathan confronted him. But hear God's word. If we confess our sins, we have a Savior who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to purify us from all unrighteousness. And so I wonder this morning, have you wandered away from the shepherd? I wonder this morning, have you wandered away from the flock? Now, oftentimes when we think of wandering, we think of, of kind of the, the more negative things of, of going off into drinking and sex and pornography, those things. But sometimes it's the good things that cause us to wander from the flock and from God. 
Sometimes, especially for us men, it's work that causes us to wander from our shepherd and to wander from the people of God. Moms, sometimes it's the good things. It's your kids that cause you to wander from your shepherd and to wander from the family of God. Sometimes it's the good things like traveling that cause us to wander from our shepherd and the flock. But the encouraging thing, and as the hymn says, our hearts are prone to wander. Lord, I know it. The beautiful thing is that we have a shepherd who promises to retrieve us, to go out, to search the ends of the earth, to find us, and to bring us back not only to himself, but hear me, not only to himself, but to also bring us back to the flock, the local church. So in this psalm, we see God, our shepherd, provides for the flock, both emotionally and physically. Secondly, we see that God, our shepherd, retrieves his flock. And thirdly, we see God, our shepherd, protects his flock. One of the last things I learned from my Google search is that sheep are prey animals. Now, not to be confused with praying animals, they are prey animals. Sheep eat grass, and a lot of other animals eat sheep. Therefore, one of the reasons they are constantly on the go, on the go and one of the reasons that I also discovered that they sleep standing up, sometimes laying down, but very short increments, is because there's always predators that are seeking after them. And so it's the shepherd's responsibility to protect them from these predators. And although I confess that I don't often see myself as easy prey, the truth is, as I mentioned earlier, Satan and the world and the influence of our sin are always, always seeking to destroy us. And seeking to destroy the church. And seeking to take us down. And while we probably think we can defend ourselves, we can't. We need a shepherd. And David here writes in verse 4 that we have a shepherd. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The greatest enemy to the Israelites was death itself. As David mentions in Psalm 6, there is darkness to death, an absence of worship and ability to glorify God. And it is normal to fear death because it is not natural It's not what God intended. But what we see in this verse is that David, who faced his own death on many different occasions, reminds us that the Lord will protect us. The Lord is the good shepherd who takes out his rod, which was literally a club that the shepherd used to fight off predators. And the Lord will beat the ever-living out of those people 
and Satan and the world that seeks to destroy us. We don't have a mancy-pansy God. We have a God who will pull out a rod and do whatever is necessary to protect his flock from Satan and the world and sin. The Lord protects his children. And what I love about this verse is that the Lord doesn't walk 10 feet ahead of us in the darkness and ask us to courageously follow him. David says, for you are with me. Literally, the the Lord is walking right alongside of us. The Lord is the shield about us. We are flanked on our right and on the left and the front and behind by the Lord Almighty who is committed to protecting us. Now, I, I need to pause for a moment because some of you might be thinking, okay, Todd, you're saying That when I pray, I can be assured that I'm praying to God who protects his children. But why did God not protect me when I was abused as a young kid? Why didn't he protect me when my friend bullied me? Why didn't he protect me from cancer and other diseases? And these are incredibly good questions. And I don't mean to sound trite with my answer But the truth is that God did, does, and will protect you. All of us, all of us in this room will experience death. None of us are going to escape it. And on the surface, to onlookers, it will look very much like it. It looked to those who saw Jesus die on the cross, that death had its way. And that God did not protect Jesus But the truth is that though death had its way for three days, God did protect Jesus. God delivered him from death. And God will deliver all who profess faith in Jesus from the ultimate sting of death. It might not look like it, and it surely will not feel like it as we face our untimely deaths. But we know that Christ Jesus is risen. And we know that death is not an end. I said at Steve Bryant's funeral a week ago that Steve, because he has professed faith in Christ, is never more alive now than he was here on earth. He is with Jesus Christ. He promises to protect us from death, from harm, from our own sin, and from the world. And so I wonder this morning, are you hungry? Are you thirsty this morning? If so, God our shepherd promises to provide for you every need that you have, emotionally and physically. Are you lost this morning? Have you wandered away, maybe not even from the shepherd, but from the flock, the local church? We have a shepherd who is looking for you, who promises to retrieve you and to use every resource that he has to come after you, not to harm you or punish you, 
but to restore you? And are you under assault and feel like the enemy, the world, and the influence of sin is about to crush you today? If so, God, our shepherd, promises to protect you. He is our shield and our defender. And nothing, not even death, has the power to destroy us because of Christ's work on the cross. The good news of Psalm 23 is the Lord is our shepherd. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen.